0: Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and uh, why don't we begin with a prayer. Lord, we uh, petition you uh, here and and love you and seek you and pray that your spirit will uh, be with us in abundance. Help those who are seeking and uh, trying to learn and forgive the things that uh, I say and other people might say if they call in uh, that's wrong, which is often Uh, But help our our volunteers and the technical stuff. Help Seth as he tries to explain a few things to us tonight as we start off. And uh, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Got Brother Seth sitting here right to my left. And uh, he is the -the behind-the-scenes guy when it comes to our technical uh, manipulations. (laughs) And we are still on one. There's Seth. Uh, Seth, he's going to talk... To me, uh, like I am really, really dumb about these things, and he's not acting. That's why he's laughing, because I am very dumb about
1: these things. So, start off with the basics. We have two websites. Yes, so we have Heart of the Matter website, which is hotm.tv. Uh-huh. Um, and it, show, it has our whole archives of all of the shows that we've have ever done. Um, just go to the archive page there. Uh, and then we have campuschurch.tv, and that's the same thing. Most everything is archived except for some of your earlier stuff. Okay. Uh, is there. But that's all available there. And so
0: archived uh, you, you, in language that a guy like me can understand just means it's all there, they can see the title, mm-hmm. they can click on it, and they can watch it. Right, right. All right. So, so I'm imagining it's over a thousand hour long to combine the two? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, so what is important
1: for people to know who want to, one, do we have podcasts? Yeah, so we have podcasts. That's, what, that's kind of our whole meeting here. So if you have an, an Apple device, uh, an iPhone or whatever, if you go to your podcast, so it's the purple little icon there, and you go there and you do a search, and uh, search heart of the matter, Sean McCraney. And you'll find two of the podcasts. So you'll have uh, the Heart of the Matter podcast and the Campus podcast. And uh, Wendy, who's also the main behind the scenes woman there, she is on that where she'll edit the show. So this show will probably be edited sometime this week and be available to you. And once you subscribe to that, um, it will automatically download to your phone and you can listen to it anytime, anywhere. How do you subscribe? Um, For the podcast, if you just do a search, it will automatically subscribe you. Okay. Um, Now, for you that are not familiar with subscription for YouTube, if you hit the subscribe button, you're not paying anything. Okay, it's not you don't have to pay anything. You're not going to be emailed to death or whatever. Basically, what it does is, is it makes it easier for you to view all of the content that we're putting out there. So uh, if if so, I have my iPad right here. When I go to YouTube, it shows the latest stuff. So Wendy is she'll she'll put all of the um, shreds up, and those are what those are is basically small little excerpts from previous shows and from recent shows, so that you can just see um, some of the highlights of the shows. And so that's available for uh, for subscribers.
0: Okay. Also, you like people to uh, click on the thumbs up.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, just, he wants you to do that. And there's a yeah. reason for it. Yeah. Thank so, you. So this is tonight's live show, and we already got a couple of thumbs ups there. So it it helps us in terms of uh, <laughs> it helps people see. Okay, yeah, they like what they see. They like the content, um, and it. Helps people, and it helps the search engines uh, so that when people are doing a search, uh, they'll see that it's there and it adds a little bit of credibility to the show and to what you're talking about. So more thumbs up actually does something yeah. for our placement in the internet world. It
0: does. And a bunch of... So we're really telling our, our enemies that if they keep doing this, that we'll, we'll disappear yeah. completely. No, I mean. What a, but, what a um, weird world we live in. Yeah. Anything else that we need to know that's on the top of your head, uh, yeah. Seth?
1: So, okay. So right now this is a live show. Um, remember that every Tuesday night, it's at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It's a live show, and you can call in. So people don't realize that it's a live show. Okay, and also, if you want to communicate with us, there's a... A live chat section on YouTube, and you can just talk with. See, we already got like probably ten people right here doing a live chat right now, and you can just get into that chat and just talk to people that are there. And you can also ask Sean questions on this this chat here, and we'll get the message up to him and maybe get a date. Hey, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so that yeah, it's a little feature to try to get your question out. I know there's a lot of people that don't want to call. Um, So you can communicate with Sean via the live chat. I don't see it. What they do is they watch it in the back room and they put it up on the screen. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Seth, excellent. We're going to cut this up. We're going to make you look like a star and (laughs) use it as a promo on everything we're doing. I don't know about that. (laughs) Oh, also to let you know, Mallory's music is now on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Uh, Larry's been telling me how to tell... What else? Spotify and what else, Larry? Uh, Apple Music, anything else? No, not that I know. Apple Music and Spotify, you can get Mallory's music and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks so much, my brother. Yep. Okay, well last Wednesday night, Warren Puckett and Suzanne and I of Breaking Bread fame and uh, we drove to Preston, Idaho and met in the beautiful home of Brent and uh, Ruth S. There was a small gathering of people uh, from around those parts. We had two couples from Preston And uh, two women drove from 50 miles away, and uh, another woman who lived locally, and a couple from Logan, Utah, total of 12 gathered in the living room of this home, and all having been LDS, and all having come to see the facts of the faith, most walking from the faith to some degree or another, and into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how much it warmed, I know it warmed Warren and Suzanne, warmed my heart, to be gathered with those uh, souls, seekers of truth, courageous people who um, were not only willing to stand up and walk away from the religion, which in Preston, Idaho, and and in Utah, and in other places like that, Arizona, and parts of California, Washington, um, they not only walked from it, but we really enjoyed it because they walked into a relationship with the Lord. And, you know, uh, we've always been, never been about just come out of Mormonism, because when you do that, we get atheists. So it's always been come out. And the reason you come out is because you've come to know who the Lord is. So there was a gathering of the few who found and who have been alienated by their communities. They alienated by family, alienated by friends. And the desperation in that small group was, was palpable. You could hear. There was tears shed about how difficult it is to go uh, through this process. So... We thank Ruth and Brent for opening up their lovely home to this event, and we encourage other people uh, all over those uh, the states, uh, as led by God, to do the same. So, within hours, I watched it. Within hours of meeting each other, I'm not a, I'm not a real social butterfly. I don't do very I don't I do very little socially. But Warren and Suzanne are very fellowship-oriented, and I watched a community of people really get knit right then. They shared numbers, they they talked openly, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. So this is what church looks like today. It's when like-minded believers come together. doesn't matter if you're in someone's living room or anywhere else, and and fellowship is there. Uh, Anyone who's willing to hold such an event in their home, Utah, Idaho, surrounding states, let us know. Uh, We'll be more to come and encourage the saints toward greater faith and love, less religion. And all you got to do is write us the graphic for the emails on the screen, Sean at Aletheum Media. And we'll do all we can to come out and join you and help facilitate a non-brick-and-mortar approach to open, loving, liberating faith. Well, we had some feedback last week from the show on Satan being over. And I have to congratulate those who wrote, not only for their willingness to entertain a new thought but to dig deeper instead of just dismissing it. Additionally, these emailers have brought more information to the table that I've learned by so we praise God. Hats off to you guys. Before I get to the emails pertaining to the Satan uh, show of last week, here's an email from Michelle who tunes into our studies at campuschurch.tv. She writes, I have two comments, quote, a modern day refining process like the lake of fire would be similar to a military boot camp. Boot camp is painful, but it has an end. When you make it through, a lot of bad attitudes are ground away. I think that's interesting when we consider what the word means for uh, what happens in the lake of fire and what fire and brimstone are in their original Greek sense. Second comment says, I have just uh, listened to Revelation 6 episode where you were talking about the dating of Revelation. If the Jerusalem Council happened around 50 AD, the famine under Claudius happened between 41 and 54 AD, and Paul mentions that he knew a man 14 years ago that was caught up into the third heaven, then it would stand that Revelation could have been written as early as 36 AD. I have found that Acts... uh, I have found that Acts was really, excuse me, was written 80 to 90 AD, which would make Luke really old. And if Agabus from Acts 11 prophesied about a famine that happened during Claudius's reign, then I think the dating is off for Acts as well. I just wonder why the dating is off. Is that a trick of Satan? Also, the Christians at that time probably weren't concerned with the details if they were expecting the end of the age to be at hand. Thank you for your work. Michelle, thank you for your work. And sharing those thoughts, it just opens us up. Uh, We don't know what's right and wrong. We keep searching Scripture, seeing what it has to say. But the content of your email encourages me because it shows that people are thinking, and challenging, and testing, and letting God work through the Spirit, rather than just echoing traditions that we've been fed since we were children. So relative to Satan in last week's show, the first email came from Hannah E. She wrote the following, last night, very interesting, you are saying you think Satan is done, but we may still be at war with the darkness. I haven't done any studies yet, but kept thinking about the verse that says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, dark forces in high places. Interesting that it doesn't mention Satan there. Also, I was thinking about Satan's job as the accuser. If his job is done, but sin still happens, then are we the accusers of each other? I think about the Bible verse that speaks of us being judges. Also, when Jesus said to the prostitute, where are your accusers? Maybe there's another crucial reason for us to choose with Christ to help forgive each other. Also still struggling with the train of thought about us being able to choose darkness. That would mean that darkness still exists. And if darkness and sin still exists for those not in Christ, then does that mean the law remains for those who don't uh, accept his shed blood. There's a lot of questions here. When the Bible speaks of a day when God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain, I don't see how that can happen if darkness is still exists anywhere. And that kind of brings me back around to the previous stance. Same war mindset, but maybe without Satan, just other dark forces. Anyway, thanks for the brain Pulverizing talk, Sean, laughing out loud, I will dig into the word of God and ask God to help me to understand his truth. And she says, thanks. So the tenor tone and words of Hannah give this old man uh, in the world, it gives me comfort to know that there are people out there who are just challenging their thought, reading scripture by the spirit, seeing what's true, holding holding fast to what's good, letting go of that which is not. So I'm proud to belong to a family of such believers. And then we got this insightful email from Virgil, our Maui brother in New Zealand, sorry. He writes, Kia Ora, Sean, that's hello in Maori. I have a bone to pick with you, just kidding. I uh, know, that's what I thought too. Great teaching on Satan. I enjoyed watching you put another feather in your cap of heresies. I just watched a clip from Michael Miano. In the last five minutes of the clip, now, Listen to this and, and just take, just listen to this take on what he's saying. In the last five minutes of the clip, he says that within the covenant of Jesus, Satan is a defeated foe, but outside in the world, he's still busy, end quote. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a heck of a lot of sense. Has merit. And my only question is then relative to the book of Revelation, which I believe is fulfilled, talks about the ultimate destination of Satan and his angels being cast into the lake of fire. And if that's the case, then it's bye-bye, fathead to Satan a long time ago. For those of you and your entertainment knowledge, uh, let me tell you the origin of bye-bye, fathead, by the way. The story goes that a grumpy uh, and gruff uh, army general uh, called uh, the commissary and needed some parts for his jeep. And a young soldier answered in the warehouse. And the general said, this is General Phillips. I want part number 20507 sent to my office immediately. And the soldier replied, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have that part. It's going to be a month before I can get it. And the general flew into a rage and he ran it and screamed and threatened the soldier. And, uh, but to his amazement, he was the, the soldier on the other end said, listen, fathead, you aren't getting your part. And the general was infuriated and said, do you know who this is, soldier? And the soldier said, I do, you're General Phillips. But the real question is, General Phillips, is do you know who this is? And General Phillips admitted that he didn't know who was on the other end, and the soldier said, well, then it's bye-bye, fathead, and hung up the phone. (laughs) But anyway, oh, I very rarely tell a joke, and that was, uh, learned that from my father-in-law. Virgil continues out in New Zealand. I really liked your teaching, but now I have to compare two preterist views on the matter. I'm inclined to go with your take on the scripture for now, but it's an interesting idea that Satan is defeated for those in the covenant. I can't see how that would work, uh, though, if he's been cast into the lake of fire, which now that I think of it presents another question. Do you believe the lake of fire is still for the rubbing away of sin? Because that would mean Satan angel gets that treatment too. Uh, he goes on and talks, but anyway, Virgil is a thinker, and he's out there uh, challenging. He, can't, he grew up, I think he's still in a very strict religious dogmatic, this is how it is, church, the way 32,000 denominations are around the world, but he has stepped out, and he says, I want to know uh, really what the Lord wants me to know, not what men teach. So thank you, for my Maori brother. Uh, Let me just say a couple things to reiterate on Satan last week and to tie it into what Hannah and Virgil said. Just try to think of it this way, just food for thought. Satan is a created being. Uh, He was good, apparently, at the start, uh, in my estimation from what I can see in Scripture, but like all heavenly and or earthly creations, he was predisposed with his own will and he chose darkness. He, he Something in him, whether it was pride or power-seeking, whatever, helped him to choose to rebel. There was something that was in his creation or that he embraced from outside creation. I would call that something the antithesis to God, the antithesis to light and love, which is how Scripture describes God directly. God is light. God is love. So... Uh, where light and love exist, God, his opposite is going to exist somewhere too. The opposite of light is darkness. The opposite of love is indifference or hate or what venom or whatever you want to say it is. So just like where there is heat, there is going to be cold. We don't measure cold. We don't measure darkness. There's no measurements for it. There's only measurements for light. And there's only measurements for heat. So uh, to me, this is the real nemesis The real terror of dark and death. It was the opposite force that called Satan, a created being, to its side. So Satan was not, and we often forget this, was not the originator of the dark. Satan did not, he's not the king of darkness. He was just a created angel that fell and was cast out of heaven. So Jesus wiped out uh, what his work's worth through his life and death is proven by Scripture last week, and uh, so he is no longer needed. But like we suggested last week, dark, the opposite of light, has always existed by virtue of the fact that God is eternal and always has existed. Never goes away. So I contend in the face of real fulfillment Scripture that the being of Satan is over, but the truly original sinister nature still abides because God still and always will abide. Um, It could be like Hannah intimated that we are now the accusers and uh, there's so much thought going into that, but I just wanted to touch on those things who knows where all this is going, but let's keep looking. So I'm going to step away from what we've been working on, on the board for the past uh, year and talk about something that occurred when I was traveling with the Puckets last week. Um, Actually, it was before we hit the road, Warren said something to me in the, uh, the parking lot of a McDonald's, which by the way, he didn't eat because he's on a diet. The ministry is aimed at accomplishing three things. And I sat down with three guys when I was in school of ministry and we said, this is what the ministry is going to be about. And we came up with reach, teach, and serve. That was what we came up with. First, we're aimed at reaching people with the news of Jesus Christ, the good news, um, all people, but especially the LDS. That was our thing. And we believe that many of them are in tremendous spiritual bondage. And we believe that many people of many faiths are in great spiritual bondage. We have always believed that Jesus is the operative key to success, to emancipation, to freedom in Christ, uh, to freedom in your life is by and through Christ. So it's reach out to people, and that's what we do through Heart of the Matter. The second general area we focus on in the ministry is teaching. So first we reach out to the lost and the, uh, the those in bondage, and then we say we will teach what uh, the Word of God says, and we do this through our books and through weekly campus gatherings, twice on Sunday, as we go through the Bible verse by verse, and. Um, very important. First, you're, first you reach and then you teach. And um, this leads us to the final focus of the ministry, but it's really the culminating value of the ministry. And what I mean by this is the first approach of reaching and the second focus of teaching have a reason. They have a purpose. We just don't think it's to get people saved, and we don't think it's just to get them saved and to teach them. We think there's more to it. And what I'm gonna talk about now is gonna sting a little bit, because it is, um, it's is—it's biblical, I'll stand by it, it doesn't make friends, but I think it's true. It's kind of arrogant sounding, actually. Uh, I don't include myself necessarily in this third group, but all that we do is reach and teach to truly support, those who are the sons and daughters of God. And they are known in Scripture as the few. The few. Uh, we read in Luke thirteen twenty three twenty four. 24, Jesus said, uh, One of them said to him, Lord, uh, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the gate, for many, I say unto you, will not enter in and shall not be able. Then in Matthew uh, 7, 13, 14, Jesus says, Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. That's a apulomai in the Greek. That means that rubbing away. And many be there which go in thereat. Many be there that go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. And to me, in the context of all scripture, what Jesus has suggested is that while he has reconciled the world to God through his shed blood and his given life, and there are only a few who will not face afterlife apulami, afterlife destruction, rubbing away of what is in the flesh. Jesus touches on this fact in the parable of the sower, and he describes he uses ground as to describe the heart type of different people. And you know that the first heart type is wayside soil. And the seed, which he says is the word of God, is thrown on the wayside soil and it doesn't even have a chance to get in the soil or whatever because Satan, the fowl of the air, comes and gobbles it up the word. It's just take him right off. So they never, these are those who never really know anything about him at all, nothing, right? But the second heart type or ground is stony soil. And he says, this heart receives the word joyfully, takes it into their heart. But the uh, 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 um, cares and riches of the world. No, no, no. Persecution for the word of God causes the root not to be able to dig in. And so those roots are exposed to the sun and they dry up and die. But he says these receive the word of God with joy. All right. Then the third type of heart ground is thorny. And Jesus says with these, they too receive the word. And it goes and it actually takes root. You know, deep goes the root, up comes the fruit, and it goes deep with the root, and then it starts to produce fruit upward, he says. So this is someone who's moved along and really progressed in and through their relationship with Christ, but he says what happens is uh, they get choked out by the thorny vines that crush it, and he says those are the cares and the riches of the world. So you get caught up in the things after you've been a Christian a while, you're bearing fruit, but the cares and riches of the world choke you out. And then final uh, heart type of a ground is what he calls good ground. And those receive the word in their heart. And it takes deep root downward, begins to f- produce fruit upward. And Jesus said, these produce fruit 5, 10, uh, I don't know if he uses 20, fold fruit. So different amounts of fruit come from the person who this uh, seed is planted in. It is this last heart type ground that is the focus, the primary focus of all that we do. We reach best we can, we teach best we can, but out there in this room, out there in uh, the world who watch the shows, we are trying to help teach and teach ourselves as we go, hoping we are of that, that we are of the few, because that is scriptural. It, it, it's not a huge number, even though I believe in total reconciliation. I believe that there are very few sons and daughters. So these are not just those who have been reached. These are not just those who have been teached. These are the few who through suffering and loss of their flesh have shown, possibly proven, I don't know, that they are genuine followers of Christ in this world. These will exist in the world hereafter as joint heirs with Christ. Um, Joint heirs, that's biblical. They will jointly share in all that Christ has been given from his father. And he was given all things. So while outreach is the first step in the process of this and teaching the word comes next, in my estimation, the real lasting, eternal, meaningful destination is not to be found, not simply to be taught, but to become, um, his sons and daughters. So I've been mulling this concept over for about 10 years. The word speaks of this only true destination, in my opinion, constantly. It's all through it. Um, but it lies discreetly beneath much of the flora and fauna of other Christian matters. Last week, as, as, as Warren and I were together, he mentioned a passage in Luke. And it struck me hard. It's found in Luke 14. All by itself, just taking it all by itself, it says, Jesus says, So likewise, Whosoever be he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he can't be my disciple. I know this is heavy, you guys, but for truth seekers, they don't care. So that's what we're speaking to tonight. Jesus says it. Not me. I'm not a legalist. I believe in total reconciliation. But to be sons and daughters, Warren brought that up, and I thought, wow, I... So, the passage sued my brain, and the next morning I decided to do a study on it. Those who are ready to hear, turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through uh, 35, and let's read, because it'll open up your uh, eyes to some pretty cool things, I think. In chapter uh, 14, verse 25, it says, And there were great multitudes with Jesus... And he turned and said to them, so we know right off the bat, he's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to the masses here. That's a rarity in scripture in the New Testament. He doesn't, we don't often see him talking and addressing the masses. So he turns and he says to them, that's the context, a large group following him. And he tells them what it really takes to be his disciple To be his disciple. So he turns and says to them, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate, not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That word hate, missio, it means, can mean to hate, but it also can mean to love less than something else. Jesus was facing a mass of people who perhaps were swearing allegiance to him. They were following in mass and, oh, we love you. You know, we we're going to be your disciples. We'll be with you always. Whatever it was, something was said, plastering him with devotion. As the master teacher, he at times was prone to calling people out on their stated professions. He did this uh, quite often and sometimes... They seemed kind of harsh. Recall in Matthew 15:22, we read a similar situation. It says, "And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil." But he answered her not a word. That's pretty rude, isn't it? And his disciples came and besought him, saying, "Send her away, for she cries after us." But he answered and said, "I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." She wasn't a Jew. He's like, I'm not even sent to you. Then she came and worshiped him. Proscunio fell down at his feet. Proscunio worshiped him, said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, Second insult, it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. That is harsh. He is vetting her heart, he is seeing what She is made of, and maybe he knows, but he's showing her. We don't know. And she said, truth, Lord, you've called me a dog. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Just give me some crumbs. Then Jesus said and answered her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole at that very hour. So, He tells the multitude that if they think they can love their families, mom and dad and pop and all their traditions and everything else, even if they think they can love their own life more than they can love him, they were mistaken. It was a process to see where do you guys really stand, right? So straight up description of the heart ground. Where are you? Verse 27. Then he says, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So that's two ways you can't be his disciple. You, gotta, you can't love your family more than me or your own life more than me. And if you don't bear your cross and come after me, that means follow after me, you can't be my disciple. Straight up description. If a person is not willing to bear his cross and come and follow him, can't be his disciple either. This is a scriptural, spiritual code for you're going to watch me take up a cross and bear it. Where is he going to bear that cross to? Calvary, outside the city gates where the dross and the criminals and the refuse and the trash were all sent outside the city gates. He said, and I'm going to be humiliated. And he's saying, you know, theoretically, mistreated, put to death. And if you're not also willing, masses, to spiritually take up your cross and to follow me to a place where flesh is humiliated and put to death, you can't be my disciple. Then he says, for. Now, when Jesus says for in a, in a, in a phrase, what he says is, here's the, what I'm telling you. In light of what I've just said, now listen, the multitude seems to have been conveying to him something. It's a valid reason why he would address them this way. We don't have it written. But he seems to pull from two examples from real life to teach them. He says, four, which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost? The cost. There's the tie-in. You want to be my disciple? Have you counted the cost? He says, whether you have sufficient to finish it. The multitude was following him. So he gives them a little thing. He says, how many of you sit down to build a building and you don't calculate the cost to do it and your ability to finish? You've said you want to follow me. You're following me now. Have you considered the cost and are you going to be able to finish where this leads? And then he says, less happily, if you are going to build a building, after you have laid the foundation, you're not able to finish it. All that is begin, and all that behold it begin to mock you saying, this man began to build, but was not able to finish. So his point seems to be saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you, why aren't you counting the cost to see if you're going to be able to finish what you're trying to start here by walking behind me? He says finish here three times in that short little story. How about not being able to finish? Or he says, let me give you another example, verse 31. Or what king, look at at this example. He's such a genius teacher. What king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that come against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, the other king meaning, he sends an uh, ambassage that says, we want peace. Now, In this example, we have a familiar theme, making a decision to do something and really thinking it through because there's a cost. In this case, the price of going to war. That's the fitting example in the second example. So I find it interesting that Jesus adds in this example that following him is like choosing to go to battle against another kingdom when you have 10,000 on your side and they have 20,000. That's the parallel to the story. And 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 he says most people, uh, most kings would would say if they're not, if they haven't been able to figure out how they can finish that war, they say, well, let's just try to make peace. Right. And he I think he's using this as a way to say, you say you're going to follow me. You're following behind me as multitudes. You're going into a war where they are numbered 20,000 and you're numbered 10. Are you going to continue on with this? Or are you going to say, oh, let's just make peace. Let's just make peace. That's how I take that. Could be wrong. So having provided two examples from life, actually having provided two reasons how you can't be his disciple, and then giving two examples from life, Jesus says, are you ready? So likewise. There it is. There's the tie-in of all that information. So likewise. Look at yourselves, those who are going to follow me, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's heavy. That's a heavy statement. How seriously do you take these words of Jesus? If you don't take them seriously, you're not going to like me. You're not going to like this ministry. Um. And he said it to the masses because he said it to the masses and not to his disciples, his 12 apostles elected and chosen. I believe he says it to all of us that that is a direct scriptural passage that speaks to all of us. You want to be reached for Jesus only saved as it were, receive the seed, plant it on stony ground, persecution of the word gets you to hardly grow roots and you've got it. You've been reached. I believe that those who have been reached, they're going to love the afterlife. I believe God and Jesus is that good. I really do. You want to be someone who's been reached and teached? I know it's improper grammar. Be a seed planted on thorny soil. Grow roots down in that soil from the Word of God. Grow fruit up a little bit. And then have the cares and riches of the world choke you out. You're going to have a pretty good life here. And in the afterlife, I think, because the Word took root, I think you're going to be reconciled to God and you'll have a reward, and I think you'll, you're going to have some joy. But if you sincerely want to be of the few who have found it, if you want to truly be a joint heir with Christ and be His disciple, I'll use His words here, you have to forsake all that you have. Few be there that will do this. Now, when I say all, we are talking about the spiritual approach. You can be a wealthy person here on this earth. It doesn't mean, it does not mean that because he doesn't literally mean you have to hate, missio, your father and mother. That goes against the commandments. It's just priorities. You're going to have to work. You're going to have ambitions. You're going to have hobbies. You're going to have your art. I love art. You're going to have things in your life that God has blessed you with, your family. But what he's talking about is if you're one of the few, you've got to make everything on him. And I don't want to break your, uh, your spirit here with dogma and try to make you feel bad, but that is the requirement. And he says it. Not me. He wraps it up. Listen to what he says. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, its ability to continue to provide seasoning, to finish the tower, to endure the war, to continue to follow Christ to Calvary with your cross, bearing it to the death of your flesh, how can its season be restored? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. And he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. I know from the emails we get from around the world that there are those who have ears to hear that message. I hope I have ears to hear. Sometimes I greatly wonder if I'm one of the few. I really do. Because sometimes I'm not sold out. And thank God for grace. And thank God for, I mean, that's how we're saved. But just understand, it's not just about being saved. It's just not about learning intellectually the things from Scripture. It's about being His disciple. And if our King lived, said, behaved, walked a certain way, and He tells us to do the same, don't think that we can get around that. No matter what generation we live in. So at Alathean Campus, we're geared toward reaching the lost with the truth, teaching the truth to the saved. But all of it is a means to help try and encourage you and to fortify and strengthen the few who, as truth seekers, are willing and able by and through Christ, not themselves, to give all and finish the course. If this is you, and you know who you are, because you know what God has done in you and how you have grown and what direction you're headed. You know it by the love that you have for God and for man and that grows in you. And I guarantee those who love as he loves have given it their all. That could be the concluding thing. So let all those uh, who have ears hear the message for tonight. Let's open up the phone lines. 801 5 9084135908413 and while the operators are taking whatever potential calls might be take a look at this at this Okay, I guess I'll do this. I wasn't gonna, I was gonna. It's very painful, but I'm gonna do it anyway. We don't often do this, uh, but it's unusual. What I'm going to do is inform. I'm not gonna beg. And uh, I will do this tonight, but not again, at least for another few years, as we uh, will leave the situation in God's hands. You know that I'm of the opinion, and always have been for 12 years, that where God guides, God provides. And when the provisions actually come to a place where they don't provide, our ministerial efforts will end. And it's the only way that I can see it. He has not led people to provide. And so we're going to do it that way. Uh, I I feel bad that this message is following what I just talked about, because this has nothing to do, being his has nothing to do with uh, contributions to a ministry. It uh, it, it has nothing at all. So please don't tie those together. But I do feel an obligation to inform those who are involved in the ministry, the state of our affairs. And it's up to you on how, if, if or when you choose to respond. Because of my insistence to teach what I believe is the true, uh, the truth of Scripture, we have lost fi- financial support over the years, 80 percent. I've met with Derek today, and we talked the numbers. From 2009 to 2013, we moved into the black as a ministry uh, after nearly a decade of being in the solid red. And then in 2013, after going after the Christian churches, uh, we began to slide backward. So that was the first week of 2013, we began to see the steady decline. And times have never been more tough uh, than now in the ministry, but not just for the ministry. These times are very tough on individuals, too. And I understand that, and I appreciate that, and I respect that fact. Uh, but I've learned that many people, they believe we are flush with cash because we don't talk about it. And that's far from the truth. From January to June, we've had total donations from campus, uh, church, and a and, uh, heart of the matter of $35,000, now, that's an average of 5800 a month. And to some people, that's a laughable amount. But to other people, it sounds like a huge dollar amount. And it is a lot of money. Um, with those funds, we run the ministry. We run the utilities, the lease of the church studio, the insurance, the water, the maintenance, the internet, the website development, benevolence, which is not much, uh, payroll and reimbursements. And whenever anyone has asked for help, we have tried to give it. Um, I spend 20 to 30 hours a week in preparation and 20 to 30, maybe sometimes 40, uh, presenting and other ministerial functions, including travel and counseling with people. In the last two months, haven't had an income. Uh, My average income from February to June was 2,000 a month. Uh, I would take zero money From the ministry if I could make ends meet uh, to do what I do, but I can't. And so, you know, I do artwork and you know that I sell that, but uh, that's not, any artist knows that's not a regular thing unless you really have a following. So uh, I'm, I will look for another job. That's not a problem. I've done it before in ministry, worked at odd jobs to keep money coming in, but I can't do it all anymore. We, and it's, Too much time to produce what I feel is a quality product um, to both work outside and support my family and continue to do that. So watching the steady decline in financial support over the past quarter, I decided to inform you, our viewers, and let the chips fall where they may. Listen, we do not want you to throw money at the problem. Um, That would just be a temporary solution to a long-term problem. And I'm just shooting straight with you. Uh, And so, and I'm not going to make this announcement month in and month out. We aren't going to go that route. Our hope is that being informed, if you are in a position, that has always been the case. We don't want starving students. We don't want people on a limited fixed income. We don't want retired people who can't make ends meet. We don't want people who are needy uh, giving the widow's might. I don't believe that's scriptural at all. But if you are in a position and led of the Lord, so take it to him. Uh, we would appreciate systematic uh, support of the ministry. A dollar a month to whatever amount you want a month systematically would go a long way rather than just writing us a check once and saying, okay, we've helped. We, it, it just doesn't help us plan and, and uh, budget for what we do. Additionally, and this is for people who can't support the uh, ministry financially, and there's a lot of you, and I understand that, but if you will share the ministry with your friends and with your family, and more importantly, if you will pray for the well-being of the ministry financially, those two things are sacrificial on your part that we would greatly benefit by, probably even better than cash. But, uh, you know, having said that, (laughs) Uh, We'll take the cash, too. So this is the present situation. Does ministry cost money, even a deconstructed ministry that's online? And yes, it does. And I believe in the work we are doing. And I refuse to let this situation become a focus. But it's only fair to give all interested parties a heads up. I'm going to make the same speech at our campus gatherings. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. If you're led, you can go to HOTM.TV and, or you can write us at uh, the address that are on, is on the screen. Um, it's unfortunate that in this world we got to deal with the material. And I preach against material religion, but it's a fact of life. And ultimately we could get to the point where we just don't have it anymore. That may be God's will. I'm open to that. He may be moving us, me, in a different direction. If that's the case... Let the chips show us. Because if they do after another month or so, if we see that this hasn't, then it's fine. We can do that. There's thousands of hours of material from us, and I'm not saying you know we can't continue to benefit from that. I think we can keep those websites going uh, without a tremendous amount of financial support, and we'll do that. But I'm just trying to keep you, uh, uh, trying to be fair to people who have invested themselves in the ministry to let you know with their heart, their emotions, and their pocketbook. This is where we are, and this is how it is. We have Michael in Oklahoma on line one. We'll take this call and wrap it up for the night. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, what's up, Sean? How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you, Happy? Yeah, I am sure I am. This is my first time calling. Just wanted to let you know that you were awesome, and I was watching tonight, and I just wanted to ask a quick question about, um, about when you Are you meaning like not physically present or are you meaning like spiritually? I, I didn't fully totally understand all that. Well, last week we went through the scripture and, and it talked about how Jesus from uh, Genesis forward would crush his head by his death and resurrection. And, uh, and, and so we, uh, we posited the idea that if that's the case and Jesus has had the victory over sin and death, where Satan was the author of death, then right. is he, has he been cast into the lake of fire uh, as Revelation talks about? That's what, we were, that's what we were referring to, Michael.
1: Awesome. Well, that's great. Thank you very
0: much. You're welcome, my friend. Check out last week's show. I'll give you some information. Will do. All right, man. I'll keep watching. Love your attitude. Thanks. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too. Bye. I tell you, those people with a little bit of a southern accent—they always get me. They just so friendly. Uh, these buckets got that thing going. It's so friendly. Anyway, we will continue on with our board uh, conversation next week here on Heart of the Matter.
1: I'm on a ride, going nowhere. The dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light till monkeys start